0: Today's going to be a little different because unfortunately, we've had some scheduling difficulties and therefore we don't have a new episode for you this week. But what we do have is a new to you episode because we have been lucky enough to be guests on several other podcasts. So today we are offering up our appearance on the Modern Life podcast hosted by Tabby Politsky. On the Modern Life podcast, Tabby and guests read a book and then watch the screen adaptation and then pick apart all the things they loved and the things they hated. And which was better the book or the movie. Carrie and I were guests to Tabby's podcast back in December to discuss The Princess Bride, written by William Goldman, which was then directed in 1987 by Rob Reiner, and it is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. This was our second time being a guest on Tabby's show, and we always adore nerding out with her. You can find the Modern Life podcast on all the major podcast platforms and follow her on Instagram at Modern Life Pod. We hope that you enjoy this episode.
1: I have Carrie and Amy back with me, the hosts of the Perks of Being a Book Lover podcast. You may remember them from our episode on The Age of Innocence. You can find them on Facebook under Perks of Being a Book Lover, on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod, and on their website, Perks of Being a Book Lover.com. Without further delay, here is our episode on The Prince's Bride. <music> Hello, folks. This is the Modern Life Podcast. I'm back today with the perks of being a book lover pod with Carrie and Amy. Hello, you two. Hi, Tabby. It's been so long since we've talked to you in person. I'm excited to have you.
2: <laughs> hey, Tabby. I br- <laughs> Hi, Carrie.
1: Carrie's feeling a little congested today.
0: (laughs) That's really sums up our personalities. I'm like, hi, Tabby, it's been so long. And Carrie's like, hey, (laughs) Tabby.
1: Before we dive into our main topic, which is the Princess Bride, thank you two so much for suggesting this one. We'll just go into our modern thoughts. Amy, what have you got for us today?
0: (laughs) I have been stressing about this modern thought, but mainly it's because I've been stressing about the holidays coming up uh, that were, well, I guess this is going to air, you know, closer to Christmas. But one of the things, there's so many horrible things about the COVID era, but One of the nice things that I found last holiday season is that it was very chill. Like the holiday season was very chill because, you know, we were in much smaller groups. You just did enough to get by, or at least at my house we did. And it made it very nice, especially for me, who I'm the one who does all the planning for you know Thanksgiving and the holidays. And I'm not feeling chill. <laughs> I'm not feeling chill at all. I just got a call. My mother and father are coming, my mother and father-in-law, my brother-in-law, my kids, their significant others. And then my sister and her husband are coming. And then she texted me yesterday and asked if her brother-in-law and sister-in-law could come. And I, am I going to say no? I'm not going to turn anybody away on Thanksgiving, but it's starting to be a very full <laughs> house and I am not chill about it. So That's one thing I, I,
1: (laughs) that's my modern thought of the day. (laughs) I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to this one. (laughs) And, like, how do you navigate all the different family meetups and opinions? And, you
2: know, (laughs) we got to avoid it last
1: year, which was kind of nice.
2: I didn't miss Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. I was like, this is good. I, you know, and, and it's not that I don't like being around my family, but I was okay with that. But then again, I could almost, you know, dig a hole and stick my body in it and be perfectly fine for the rest of my life, so. <laughs>
0: you make yourself sound so fun.
2: <laughs> I am. I am
0: nothing but
1: fun. <laughs> Gary, what's your modern thought?
2: It relates to COVID, uh, but not directly. So I I do have a cold. It is is just a cold. My daughter had it uh, two weeks ago, and then my husband got it, and now I have it. So my modern thought, it it relates to quarantining last year. You know, we, at least, you know, my kids didn't go to school in person. Um, My husband works from home. We weren't seeing family. You know, we weren't seeing people. And so we didn't get sick at all. Mm -hmm. We didn't get sick. And so now, uh, I mean, the only sickness I felt was from, you know, just like a side effect of getting my COVID vaccines. And and that I knew it was the COVID vaccine. Right. So my modern thought is, as we start to sort of go back or ramp back up to real life or whatever uh, it is, Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, you get sick now and you're constantly thinking, well, is it COVID? Should I get myself tested for COVID? Even though my daughter, you know, she tested for COVID the day before she stayed home. She was starting to feel gross. So she didn't have COVID. I know it's not COVID, but I'm like, I should probably get tested for COVID just in case it's COVID, even though I know it's not COVID. And I'm laying around like, oh, my gosh, I don't feel good. I, I just don't know how to react not feeling well.
0: mm mm-hmm. You don't know how to take a cold anymore. I guess,
2: you know, or I'm like, this is, I don't know. But at the same time, I noticed, so I was supposed to have people we're, were looking into having our kids' bathroom remodel a little bit. And I was supposed to have people come yesterday and this morning. And so I contacted them and I was like, I've got a little cold, you know, I can wear a mask, but if you want to reschedule. And they were all like, yep, let's reschedule, which I feel like. In the before times, people would have probably been like, oh, it's just a cold. But but I'm wondering if Mm -hmm. people are taking Mm -hmm. like upper respiratory things a little bit more seriously just on the off chance that, you know, like, well, maybe it could be COVID or why do I want to take a chance on getting sick anyway? So maybe that's a good, Mm -hmm. maybe that'll be like a good A good uh, result that people, when they do feel sick, they're going to be like, I'm staying home. I'm not going into work. I'm not doing these extra things. Hopefully, yeah. I think for both of us, it's about the transition
1: back to normal life. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. So, my modern thought is I've been trying to find some good news. And last month, that would have been October 2021, is the first time the United States has issued its first, like, its first gender neutral passport to somebody cool um and i just thought that was pretty amazing so in the sex box on the on the form it'll just say an x and it was issued to dana zim who is a 66 year old intersex activist and the thing is they had to sue the state department to get this for themselves you know there's no the burden is on them to like do all this advocacy for themselves, which I don't think is great, but at least they finally did get this passport and I feel like it's only going to go forward from here. The thing to note is that they are um, intersex, so this is different from a gender identity because it describes you know, your body and how it looks. And there's so many different types of ways people can be born intersex. Whereas with male and female, we just think of, well, you have this set of genitals and you have this set of genitals, you know. And I feel like (laughs) those people who couch their bigotry and like, oh, I just want to say the accurate thing. Like, I don't want to call things what they aren't. And, you know, all those people who are so stuck in their binary should have been the ones like advocating for this all along if you are saying like you're just interested in the real science and the real biology it's you know it's just one of those things that's like no no you're not so i'm just happy that we've got this good news and hopefully there'll be more passports like that to come
0: i did see that in the headlines i didn't i don't think i i didn't you know look into it deeply but i do remember that that's awesome
2: you know, I mean, I'm certainly not a, a scientist, but I but I do try to read a lot of sciencey things, and I'm like, you know, the people who are like, nature isn't like that. I'm like, you have not read like anything about nature in your whole entire life. If you it, if yeah. you think that like <laughs> nature is like female and that's what this is and male and this over here on this side, I'm like, nature does some pretty wild stuff all the time. That that is like yeah. all over the board so I'm just like agreed. what? what? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> but yeah I think this
1: um, finishes our modern thoughts and we can dive into the main topic which is the Princess Bride we're going to be talking about the book and the movie which came out in 1987 uh, this is from Wikipedia just a quick summary Princess Bride is a fairy tale adventure about a beautiful young woman and her one true love He must find her after a long separation and save her. They must battle the evils of the mythical kingdom of Florin to be reunited with each other. I don't think that we need to go into a whole long synopsis because I think especially American listeners have probably been (laughs) embedded with this movie in their souls since they were little.
0: At least if you're of a certain
1: age. I don't know
0: about... Um, like. My, oh, that's a good point. My daughter has never seen it. And I said, you have to see The Princess Bride. But she's like, yeah, she doesn't care about it. Maybe she, one day she will. But I, probably my suggesting it is why she won't watch it. <laughs> because <But, laughs> that's the way teenagers are. But um, yeah, so I think people of a certain age definitely have have seen it. But maybe not the younger generation.
1: That is a good point. Yeah, I was also going to ask you to because I finally read the book for this podcast. For some reason, there isn't an audio book of this one. So it was a little bit harder for me to um, to finally get a hold of it and make time to read it. But the author sets up this whole mythology around the book and even in later editions like never really lets go of mm. like he says like his he was told this story and the story is actually written by s morgan and you know these countries are real and even when he goes into uh, talking about how the movie was filmed he's saying like andre the giant took him to the florin museum <laughs> and like all this it just like never stops the way he's kind of holding on to this weird story around the story yeah and i was wondering how you two felt about that i hated it <laughs> <laughs> me too okay <laughs> so
0: i me had too. i this is the first time that i've read the book i've probably seen the movie five or six times i had no idea that there was that whole meta setup yeah. in the book and when i first started reading it i was really confused by it and i was reading the 30th anniversary edition so there was the initial sort of setup that he does but then there's also that he included his 20th anniversary introduction and his 30th mm-hmm. anniversary introduction and both of them are also commenting on this whole meta situation that he's set up about Morgan Stern writing this book and everything. I really just wanted to skip over all of that and start with the story. And I know we haven't started talking about the movie so much yet, but I, I, I'm I so glad that in the movie, they just sort of cut most of that out and made it the grandfather reading to the grandson, which I thought was much more touching anyway.
1: I 100% agree. <laughs> Gary, how did you feel about that?
2: Yeah, I didn't even read the intro. I, I, like, I started to read the introductions, and I was like, okay, I'm not. I, I just quit. Usually, I am not a DNFer, but I totally DNF'd all that 30th introduction, 25th introduction. I was like, where does this book actually start? And that's where I started. I had a low tolerance for, for all that. The nonsense. The, yeah. yeah, I was like, can we get yeah. to the point? Now, I will say some of that was because maybe under different circumstances, but I had like a crap ton of stuff I needed to read for November. And so maybe, you know, if I'd had more time, but but even then, I think I would have just skimmed it. At the very most.
1: Yeah, I started skimming it, too, because he goes into, like, how sad it was to get a divorce and stuff. And I'm like, okay. like I. Don't... And then Amy messaged me, too. It's like, did you read that extra chapter about Buttercup's baby? And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and she's like, okay, good.
0: <laughs> I don't know why he set it up like that, really. I, I don't know. Maybe he thought, like, that gave it more meat. Because the story itself is basically just a wonderful fairy tale. And Mm -hmm. maybe he thought like adding that stuff in the beginning, like made it like a little bit more cerebral, although I don't really think so. But do do you know what I mean? Like, I don't really know why it it needed that, why he felt the need to that seemed to make it more about him. Honestly, the writer.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I can see that as opposed to the story. I also found an article that (laughs) documented all these people who grew up reading this book who thought all of that was real because when you're (laughs) reading that stuff as a child you don't really question it and and it's not until like later when you're in your 20s and you're like wait a minute florin's not a real country (laughs) like what was that all about
2: when they never talk about it in social studies class like where's florin (laughs) where is that
0: that was definitely, definitely weird. And th- I mean, I tried to get through it because I thought, well, this is, you know, th- he wrote it it's part of the book, I should read it. But it, I couldn't quite tell if it was actually an introduction, like he was being, like it was reality, like he was writing an introduction. Mm-hmm. But then he would throw this like imaginary stuff in there about the real country of Florin and you know, Stephen King wanting to, <laughs> Stephen King is thrown in there. Maybe that's in the, at the end. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he throws some stuff in about Stephen King writing an adaptation of Buttercup's Baby, and I mean, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So if you read the book, I think you can just skip that part, unless you're yeah. a diehard and really want to read <laughs> it.
1: I kind of want to start off with asking you guys if you like the movie better or the book after reading it (laughs) movie (laughs) movie
0: but movie but here is the thing I felt like the book I mean the movie really followed the book very very closely except for you know a few things the thing is I don't I don't know that I've ever done it this way before but like I said I've seen this movie five or six times before I read the book so it was already sort of iconic in my mind So then to go back and read the book, it was very similar. It was, I mean, it was almost exactly like the movie, but it just wasn't
2: visual. Did you visualize the movie the whole
0: time? Yeah. So I wonder if had I read the book first and then watched the movie, and if I hadn't seen the movie so many times prior to reading the book, I might have felt differently. But because I had done it in the reverse order, I just, to me, just can't get much better than... The movie version of it, I did enjoy the backstories of Anigo In- Montoya and Fezzik. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. To me, it was worth it, to, you know, to read that part. What about you, Carrie? I know you like the movie better, but
2: yeah, I, well, I think I think the same thing. I mean, I, I I don't know that I can think of any movies that I've watched the movie before reading the book. Now there have been movies that I have seen and then I realize that they're like for example uh it was Russell Crowe there was a movie called A Beautiful Mind that was based on a book and I really liked that movie and then I went back and read the biography that it was based on but I didn't have I didn't have strong feelings like oh the movie's better or oh the mm-hmm. book's better but I only saw that movie once it wasn't like from I, I don't know how much nostalgia plays a role in this mm-hmm. as well so I, I don't know but definitely I, I prefer the movie
1: yeah same same here and that's actually not me even kind of trying to be mean towards the book it's actually me more realizing that he's also a really brilliant screenwriter and it doesn't mm-hmm. often happen that you have the person who wrote the book also wrote the screenplay um, and Amy actually made me read Carreyal was memoir as you wish um, uh-huh. about the you know how this was all put together and just his doggedness and trying to get this made and like he had sold the script multiple times but that doesn't mean somebody's gonna make a movie out of it so he like bought the rights back and just this very long battle for him to get this even filmed
2: I don't know I kind of find that admirable in a way yeah and I think he was smart because. The, the changes that they did make in the movie, I, I just don't think those things would have conveyed as well in movie form. You know, like that whole meta thing where he's talking about, you know, the things that the father cut when he was reading that the father was pretty much illiterate and he just cut whole sections of the book out that were really boring. I, that wouldn't have translated into movie form. So mm-hmm. the way they did it with the grandfather was i think it cut out the extraneous the
1: the grandfather setup is somebody telling a story as a framing device for a movie is my least favorite thing like ever like i don't know why i it just drives me bonkers it's like water for elephants where it's like some elderly person is suddenly telling a stranger their whole life story (laughs) and it like never makes any sense but the way this movie does it is like so brilliant, and mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to be <laughs> like replicated again because it sacrifices tension for comedy. And I don't know mm-hmm. if every writer would have been confident enough to do that. You know, like when she's getting eaten by the eels, and suddenly we cut back to the grandfather being like, Hey, relax. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> right. there's so many funny moments like that that are they're just
2: genius. You know, ultimately. I think the Princess Bride, it's a touching story, right? On a lot of different levels. So you have Wesley and Buttercup and and the touching nature of that. But then you have the the touching nature of Inigo Montoya and his father. And then you have the friendship between Inigo and Fezzik. You know, I think in a lot of ways, the story is very touching. And so to do something other than what they did with the grandfather and the grandson, like that just kind of, that's like the bow on the top.
1: Yeah, also that they just spoil the story, like when the grandfather's like, no one gets Humperdinck; he lives. You're like, you're just telling me that, like in the yeah. middle of the story. It's I love it; it's so great. <laughs> there was a an, another theme that I saw that I
0: didn't realize when I watched it, but especially in the book. The- well, they, they do do it. The grandfather does it. It's the whole thing of, like, life isn't fair. So, you know, when the grandfather says, I'm sorry, but, you know, Wesley dies, and the kid's like, what? He can't die? That's not fair. And the grandfather's saying, but life isn't fair. But then what actually happens in the movie is, you know, Wesley sort of comes back to life, you know, with the help of Magic Max, you know? <laughs> so it's sort of, a, I don't know, it's an interesting um
2: he was just mostly dead. He was just
0: mostly dead. Not all the way dead. That's right. <laughs> can I, can I, this is completely has, you know, is not intellectual at all, but the mother's haircut in the very opening scene, I don't know if anybody noticed that. Did anybody notice that? The mother in the very opening scene when she comes in to like kiss her son goodnight, she had the worst haircut I have ever seen. It was like. It's like a ponytail mullet. It was a ponytail tell mullet did you notice that too <laughs> no
2: <laughs> i didn't see it no oh <laughs> uh, well you need to go back and watch that one more time i mean it oh was so bad gosh. i made a note
0: i made a note of it on my list of things to talk about mother's haircut ugh i have in parentheses
1: <laughs> okay sorry we can go back to the, to, to the more important no, stuff now no no now. <laughs> Uh, I had a question. This is a family movie. But I remember when I first watched it, the torture scene was Mm. pretty terrifying to me and kind of scary. And also the fact that they let Inigo have his revenge, you don't really see that in kids movies. It's Mm. normally the conclusion is, oh, we forgive each other or we Mm. you know, but when he's like, killing the villain, and he's like, "I want my father back, you son of a bitch. I-, I cry like every time. and it's like such a great moment, but I don't know if children's movies or like family movies would really go this route nowadays.
0: Hmm. That's a good thought. I don't know. I guess I don't I don't particularly think of it as a children's movie. I would go with family movie, like something that you would watch as a
1: family. Well, that's another thing that was, like, so hard to promote this film because it's every, it's every genre. Right. <laughs> it's, like, action, comedy, romance, it, you know, fantasy, uh, you know. There's very few movies that would where you could say, like, oh, it falls into every genre ever. Yeah. I mean, when he talks about, Cariel Ellis
0: talks about that in his book, As You Wish, about how hard it was. And actually, it was not very popular in the theaters when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of... Be- gotten this iconic cult status now you know over 30 some years but at the time it really like they had a hard time marketing it to audiences yeah
1: I asked a manager at work who's older if you remembered this movie coming out and he was like yeah I, w- I wouldn't have seen that because it's like there's the word princess in there and i like I don't want to be like bullied at school for <laughs> you know there's all this like gender stuff going on too it's like is this a girl movie and
0: yeah I mean, it definitely kind of is a girl movie in some ways, but there's a lot of action and adventure and swashbuckling, you know, right. sword fighting and torture and things that... That's, that's, that sound, and revenge. And revenge that guys might like. Does that sound horrible to say that guys like torture and revenge? I don't know. But anyway, what I'm saying <laughs> is that's not normally something you would
2: see in like a, a kid movie or a, a, mm-hmm. a girl movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I wonder, because we've shown some movies that we watched when we were younger and we've shown them to our kids and we've sort of been because in our heads we're like, Oh, this movie is, is okay. You know, we watched it when we were kids and then we show it to our kids and it was like, Oh crap. They say that, you know, or they do that. I forgot they do that. And we've had that happen several times. Yeah. I watched 16 candles in my late twenties and I was like, what
1: the f- like? <laughs> this yeah. is so offensive.
2: Yeah, I can't even remember now what what the movies were, but I was like, "Oh, you know, because we were like, well, the, this is fine for the kids, especially now like I don't think it would phase people because kids see so much on social media and video games and stuff yeah, like that. True. Like I don't I don't know the whole idea of revenge and and torture. I just I don't think it would phase people.
0: And it wasn't it's not gory. I mean, yes, You know, the the torture wasn't gory, you know, blood and things. And neither was the, um... although I guess Inigo, his wounds were quite, (laughs) were quite bloody. But when he killed uh, the Count, they weren't particularly.
1: So maybe that's the... that, That was one of the things that for me was too close to the book that I thought was strange that... They didn't change it, because in the book, at the end, it's not even clear if Inigo is going to live. There's, like, Mm -hmm. descriptions of him holding his, his, like, intestines and stuff. Like, he's very badly wounded. So I found it strange that, obviously, in the movie, they make the decision, like, he's fine, he's going to be the Dread Pirate Roberts, yet they still have him also sustain all those injuries yeah and i I just thought that was a strange choice it's like and this dude would probably not be okay
0: (laughs) right or they needed to maybe make i i did notice that that it seemed like his injuries were awfully bad for him to be able to like come back and yeah do all the um you know the sword fighting that he did at the end in order to be able to exact his revenge but maybe they needed to make his injuries a little less on, on screen to make it a little bit more believable. But, you know, I, I still love the movie, so it doesn't matter.
2: But I wonder if that's sort of part of the... The mystique of it, like the... Well, or, you know, you hear about, I don't know, you hear stories about, I don't know, parents whose kids are stuck under a car and, and you know, they have, just because of the adrenaline and stuff, they, they're mm. able to lift a car and stuff. And I, I mean, I don't know if that's actually true, but it seems like, you know, just the adrenaline that people are sometimes able to... I I just know from having panic attacks, right. You know, like just what your body can do when it's stressed is, is can be kind of miraculous. And so I don't know, like to me, the fact that he is that wounded just makes him, him getting his revenge. Like he has spent 20 years living, like living, putting every single bit of his energy and effort and thought into seeking revenge and so like for me it sort of lends itself more you know the fact that he is so injured and yet he keeps going i don't know like i sort of like that because Hmm. it it just makes that revenge all the sweeter all the sweeter yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. so okay
1: you guys convinced me (laughs) (laughs) I was also wondering how you two felt about the setup of the romance, because I was asking some friends and there was not, um, there was no consensus. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Wesley and Buttercup falling in love. It it happens in about 30 seconds in this uh, three scene like setup. And I absolutely love it. It's quick, it's snappy, it tells you a lot about these people, what their lives are like, you know, how they fell in love, blah, blah, blah. Like, f- to me, it's great script writing in a way that's like, this is kind of the focus on the story, but let's keep it moving. But I but then I also know people are like, well, it doesn't really tell you why exactly these people are attracted to one another or like what what their thing is. So I was wondering how you two felt about that.
2: I mean, they're both good looking. And when you're 17, do you really need much more than that? That's the, that's the book. (laughs) And then they're both on the, you know, they're,
0: they, you know, they're out in rural Florin somewhere. And I mean, (laughs) how many other males and females do they see? Not that many. And if you're, you know, like you said, somewhere between 17 and 21, say, that doesn't take much more than that. You're good looking and there's nobody else to choose from. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was this cute setup. It brings in the as you wish line yes. that's now like everyone's quoting it. Um, and
0: I had forgotten after watching the rewatching this the other night, I had forgotten how dreamy Carrie Elwes was at that time. I really thought he was I mean, I've seen him in other things since and he's mature. He's still dreamy. He's still a, a good looking guy. But I think he I think uh, he was maybe like twenty two or twenty-three when they filmed this. He was surely good looking
2: one of the things though that that seemed a little bit different to me in the movie so like in the book she buttercup it it seems like it takes her a long time to realize how she feels about him and in the movie that's like super quick you know that he looks at her and she's like oh and in the book i don't know it's it's not until like He's getting ready to leave that that she's like, oh, this is how I feel about you. And so I, I felt like that was a little bit, it was more condensed in the movie, which I thought mm-hmm. was fine. The other thing I noticed is that in the book, Buttercup is kind of like a ding dong yeah you know like she's not super bright and i don't feel like in the movie that's quite as um which i
0: appreciate because that did annoy me about the book that they make her seem like she's really like you know the stereotypical dumb blonde you know yeah and i didn't really like that there were some things about the book that i thought didn't age particularly well um and that being one and then there was a Although this was more about the meta part, but him talking about his son being like really overweight and um, do you know what I'm talking about? There were some sections. um, uh,
1: Was that one of the sections I skimmed?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps, but he but he talks about his son just being really overweight and how, you know, that was so awful. Anyway, there were some there were some parts of the book that I thought didn't age particularly well. Um, But Buttercup being a ding dong is one of them. And I'm in the movie. She's not really she might be extremely naive but i don't think that she's necessarily dumb
1: that's interesting you guys bring that up because i had something in my notes about that and then i took it out (laughs) but it was yeah there was this moment when buttercup at the very end kind of comes into her power so she has been going to all these like queen classes or whatever like she's doing the diplomacy she's doing the etiquette like part of her journey is her kind of getting a little bit more intelligent and queenly and at the end when they ride away she climbs on top of the horse and then says i am the queen go check on prince humperdinck and that's how they get away because everybody just believes her and you know she she commands them so well that they just run into the castle but but part of what was so strange to me is that he she like steps on top of the horse like gets out of her saddle and like stands on the horse <laughs> and for some reason the imagery of that like totally ruined that scene for me which is <laughs> like why would anybody do that and also it wouldn't that's not a cool thing to do unless you're like a circus performer <laughs> like anyways yeah buttercup is not as fully realized as a character in the book as for example inigo and Fezic, who get all these wonderful like backstories and stuff i do agree with that yeah
2: at one point wesley says well wesley says don't you understand anything that's going on buttercup shook her head wesley shook his too you never have been the brightest i guess <laughs> yeah and i'm like <laughs> what i <True> like, love <laughs> wesley wouldn't say that cuz that's kind of a jerky thing to say
1: that kind of leads me into my next scene, which I always had an issue with until you guys made me read this memoir. And that is the fire swamp scene, because in the movie, Buttercup has been very um, like she's been making a lot of decisions and she hasn't really been like a damsel in distress. Like she jumps in the water. She's like, sure, there's eels. I'm going to like try to swim away. She has all these great comebacks to her kidnappers. Uh, you know, she she's with the dread pirate Roberts and just tosses him down a hill. Like she's pretty, uh, you know, forward in the things she's willing to do. And in the fire swamp, suddenly she turns into this like just doesn't do anything is constantly crying for wesley you know (laughs) she like is barely able to punch this like one little rat in the nose (laughs) with this weird prop (laughs) and then wesley is or sorry carrie Elwes was saying in the memoir like the set was really awesome but the costumes that they put you know these dwarves in for the rats it looked kind of cheesy even though like they're doing their best acting job and he was like is it too campy and unrealistic and that's finally what made me go oh like Buttercup is only incompetent because I think this is supposed to look way more scary and way more like if this was filmed today there'd be like massive CGI and the rats would be like you know so finally I was like okay I I can make my piece with with the fire swamp well, and I'm
0: trying to remember in that thing. I mean, I think that there was a well, there was an accident on the set wasn't there. There was some point where either Carrie got injured, or Robin Wright got injured. Do you remember what I am i don't about? think in the I don't was
1: it think on the fire. fire swamp? Song, no, I oh, think okay. she was a little scared about having her dress set on fire. Yeah. And I know they were also apprehensive about Cariel was announcing that he's gonna go ahead first into that little prop thing they made for the um for the quicksand, because it wasn't designed for that, but it just looked lame to have him go and feed first. Mm-hmm. But everything ended up fine there.
0: Yeah. It, because they talked about actually the off the the author William Goldman, who the screen, who was the screenwriter too, he, even though he knew that her dress was going to come on fire, he screamed. Oh, yeah. He screamed on set, "She's on fire! She's on fire!" Because he'd forgotten, and they had to like <laughs> redo the whole scene because of that.
1: Which I he was seemed funny. to be like a bit of a rattle. Like there, there's another story where they can't find out where all this weird audio is coming from, and turns out he's like praying out loud behind one of the sets and the mic has been picking it up the whole time like he's like so nervous about this movie getting made it's like maybe he just not needs to not be there
2: yeah yeah (laughs) that sand part was different in the book than it was in the in the movie in the book it's almost like they had strategized how and i mean you couldn't show this in the movie but in the book they had strategized like if she falls in how she's gonna hold her body so that he can jump in after her Mm. um and so i was like oh well that's interesting i didn't i didn't think about that so then when i was watching the movie i was like Oh, she just falls in. Like they hadn't talked about, well, how will we handle it if we fall into the the sand pit? And then she falls in. And in my head, I'm thinking, did they have this conversation off screen? And, you know, like, how would he be able to find her? So I just, I thought that was kind of interesting just because it had gone into more detail in the story. But in the movie, it's just, she falls in, he jumps in, he finds her and they're up. But it probably wouldn't have been too interesting to listen to them strategize how she's going to hold her body, you know, like a starfish or whatever. Well,
0: It was scarier (laughs) in the book because I think like as he's trying to reach for her and he can't see her, he grabs something thinking it's her. And it's like it's a skeleton. Like, I mean, so if maybe they because this was done before CGI or any of that
1: kind
0: of thing, that maybe just would have been too hard to try to figure out how to to film. But that would have been kind of scary, you know. It would have been a nice ad if they could have done it.
1: Amy, you were talking about some of the injuries that were sustained. Uh, So Gary Elwes was hit by a sword in that scene where he does pass out from Count Rugen hitting him with the sword. That is real. That is the take they used. He's actually passed, passed out, which I thought was so funny. And then he also broke his toe And they're, like, in this tiny, like, village out in the countryside, and they keep going to the same doctor. And it was just so funny to me to imagine, like, you're just this, like, country doctor doing your job, and this guy in, like, a Zorro outfit keeps coming in for, like, (laughs) treatment. It's like, what's happening? (laughs) But when he said in the memoir that he broke his toe, I immediately knew what scene it was. That scene where he sits down on the rock always looked so strange to me. And now I'm like, oh, he's sitting down be- because he broke his toe.
0: Where he has his legs sort of very straight. Okay, yes. I, yes, I was trying yes, to. Yes. I was trying to picture where it was, but I thought I can't remember what scene. But then I thought it might be that one because it was awkward the way he gets up and sits down. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting that uh, you know, unless you have listened to this memoir by Carrie Elwes, but all the training that they did to do the the sword fight. Oh my scenes. gosh! So, yeah. The actors who played Wesley and Inigo, they did all of that sword play themselves, and they trained for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks
1: to to do it. And even after his broken toe. Yeah. Even after
0: his broken toe. So as I was watching it this time, I really appreciated how well they did doing it, considering how they didn't have stunt doubles who were professional sword fencers or, you know, what have have you doing it. So.
1: There was also this like rivalry between like Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin that I thought was really cute. Where it's like, well, we can do this with stunts and this with stunts, and they kind of would look at each other and be like, no, we can do it, and then (laughs) you know, kind of encourage one another to become better at it. And I mean, Mandy Patinkin also has a whole other fight scene with Count Rugen that he had to train for as well within like as you said weeks. It's, I mean, it's pretty incredible that they were able to pull it off
2: one thing that i noticed is in the book did you notice how they described prince humperdinck compared to them casting chris sarandon Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah i thought that was really interesting because i mean because when you say prince humperdinck i think chris sarandon but in the book he's like huge like he's got a barrel chest and his thighs are like barrels he's not tall but he weighed close to 250 pounds he walked Mm -hmm. like a crab side to side and so i (laughs) thought that was kind of yeah i just thought that was really interesting that they didn't they didn't find somebody who was like bulkier and so i i i don't know yeah
1: because all the other characters are so on the mark Mm -hmm. like robin wright is extremely beautiful, you know, Andre the Giant is physic. I wrote that down, too, that even in the script, and I don't think this is the script they started with, but it's the only one I could find online. It says, Prince Humperdinck, a man of incredible power and bearing, standing on his royal robes on a castle balcony. So even when he was writing the script, they were still thinking of him as this, like, as you said, like, big, muscular person. I wonder... I wonder if they
0: wanted someone who was maybe not as who wasn't that much bigger than carrie Ellis, who played that Wesley. Makes sense. do you know yeah. what i mean like if you had a huge powering presence maybe it wouldn't make sense that uh humperdinck would give up so easily in that bedroom scene i don't know I, that's just a thought but i did know i noticed that too that their casting with that was a little was not as close to the book representation
2: i thought chris Sarandon did a fine job oh yeah but i the other thing is that it didn't talk about like in the book it talks about how he killed like like that was his his sport you know like he had a a special zoo and he would kill things Mm -hmm. and he was just constantly killing things and like that it made him more sadistic sounding yeah right and in the movie he's more like I don't know, like a gentlemanly king or mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Like in some ways, I think if they had made him, like if they had cast him as he was written, I don't know. Like I, I guess it could go two ways. Either it wouldn't have been believable when he just gives up, or it would would have been even more. It would have been really ironic, you know, that he's that he gives up. So I don't know.
1: Um, my the only quote that I wrote down from the book is actually about prince humperdinck because he it's this is right before he's like willing to kill his his future wife and it's so funny to me and this is also like a great example of how much humor is in the book and it translates so well into the movie but it says, the prince was seventy-five minutes away from his first female murder, and he wondered if he could get his fingers to her throat before even the start of a scream. He had been practicing on giant sausages all the <laughs> afternoon and had the movements down pretty pat. But then, giant sausages weren't necks, and all the wishing in the world wouldn't make them so. <laughs> oh, that is a funny line. I just not that. <laughs> Yeah,
0: I was just saying. I think the casting overall was pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Except for maybe that one, but even then, like, because I hadn't read the book, it didn't. I didn't think, oh my gosh, that is the wrong
1: person for Prince Humperdinck. Oh, you know, it's only
0: in you know after having read the book that it doesn't fit
1: exactly. Uh, Yeah. Prince Humperdinck is actually my favorite character. Really? I think Chris Sarandon. Yeah, he's my favorite. Like all his. Just, yeah, like you said, all his like, fake elegance and all the little nicknames he calls Buttercup. Like, mm-hmm. my dulcet darling. Like, it, <laughs> he just makes me laugh. What what are your guys' favorite characters? Now I need to know. I asked Carrie this question the other day. And she's like, ah,
0: I don't know. Mine is probably cool. Magic Max. I love Billy Crystal and that. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. um, and he improvised, you know, a lot of that of his role you know his lines there which was amazing but other than that i really like um i like inigo montoya too a lot
2: i think you know because at first you know amy said and i'm like i don't think i have a favorite but then after watching the movie i thought i really like valerie Mm -hmm. who doesn't get you know (laughs) she doesn't get very much in the book or the movie but i just think the way is it Carol Kane, is that who mm-hmm, plays her? I think so, yeah. The way she plays her, she's a liar! liar. <laughs> you know, I just think she's so funny in that. And then, I mean, and then the the priest. The Maui! You know, I just, they don't, they're not huge characters, but I think that they are part of of what makes the movie so yes. funny. Because you have these, just these oddball characters that i don't know that really add to it yeah they make it
0: unique yeah i mean it's like in a book when you have like sometimes it's those little details you know and for him to think up (laughs) to think up a priest that would talk with a lisp like that is just kind (laughs) of funny i don't know
2: (laughs)
1: right yeah so, Carrie, you actually brought up the zoo from the book, which is like the different levels that Prince Humperdinck has to just, like, practice his killing on all these different kinds of animals. And one of the th- scenes they changed was the Guide My Sword scene for the movie. So instead of having Inigo and Fezzik fight through all these levels of the zoo and try to get to Wesley at the lower level... Um, you know, you have this scene of them knocking out the albino and then they find the secret switch to get into the dungeon. And to me, that's one of the strongest examples of what a great screenwriter he is, that he's willing to, like, let all this stuff go for the movie. It's like, well, we don't have the budget to have, like, 20 million animals and fight scenes and we already have enough fight scenes in there, so, what? you know, it probably wouldn't fit. And that scene is... Is sweet again because it reminds us of the relationship between Inigo and his father, you know, and it's also like funny at the end and it accomplishes so much in such little time.
2: Yeah. Well, And I, I think too, it also plays into that idea of like sort of happy accidents, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's, there were a lot of things, especially when they're, when Wesley and Inigo and Fezzik are trying to get into the castle like a lot of the things that happen are just they're sort of accidental like they just go into it and they're like we don't know how this is going to play out and it things just kind of work out and so I feel like that is an example of you know he just accidentally leans on the tree and there you go you know it, it opens for him so I think that I don't know. It's sort of one of those, they they sort of all work together. And I think if it had been more like this big ordeal to go through the layers or the levels of the zoo Mm -hmm. and fight all these animals, then you wouldn't have that sort of consistency of, of accidental. The whimsical. Yeah. Right. Right.
0: I agree with all that, but part of me misses a fight scene with a big, huge snake. I think that could have been cool.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Except you know the snake would have just been like a stuffed animal. It and, you're, you right. Know, they didn't
0: have- you're right. But a girl can dream, right? It would have been cool <laughs> if they could have made it work. I'm wondering what you all thought about how they sort of changed the time period. Because in the book it made it seem like it was set like 1800s or at least that's the impression I oh, got. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And in the movie they made it completely like a fairy tale. Like, you know. Middle Ages, or whatever we think of as being, like, fairy tale time, uh, which I think was a good move. Uh, I think it makes much more sense to have it that way.
1: Yeah, I do, too. And it also lets you get away with, oh, these are just, like, peasant clothes instead of, like, oh, now we have to find, like, all these Victorian dresses and all, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it kind of gives you more leeway in getting away budget-wise with, like, costuming choices. Mm Mm-hmm. And I mean, Buttercup's dresses, they're so pretty. Like every Halloween, somebody's dressed up as Buttercup, right? Like these dresses are iconic now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: There were things that after I read the book
1: that I hadn't noticed in the
0: movie that then I then noticed. Like the thing about Fezzik loving rhymes. Yeah. I never noticed that in the movie until I read that part in the book. And then when they're on the boat, I noticed that you know, Fezzik and, and Inigo were rhyming back and forth and how much Fezzik liked that. I never noticed that in the movie before, but I did because I had read the book this time. Did you Did you all notice that? Or, or were there things that you noticed in the movie that you didn't, just little things, but then when you yeah, read the book? Yeah, to
1: me, it was Inigo saying when he's drunk and the brute squad is like trying to get him to be locked up and he's like, no, I I'm going back to the beginning. Like I don't think I ever really realized I knew what he was talking about or mm-hmm. anything and it's like, oh well, he's just there because that's where he got the job with Vizini and they you know, their thing was if you get separated, go back to the starting point and that's when we'll all meet up and that's why he's not willing to leave there. But I don't think I ever questioned or even thought about like why is he there? And like yeah. Yeah, same made more same. Sense.
2: Yeah. Although I I wonder because I sort of liked it that the whole rhyming thing with Thesick. I felt like that was I don't know, maybe one of the sweeter aspects of the story that maybe could have been given like just a little, you know, like a little more focus hmm. other than that one time. Like if it had happened maybe again. And so then you would see that like this was a pattern to to how they interacted with each other. But it only happens that one time when they're on the boat. I and think there's a
1: few more times later that, are on. There? But I think you're right that they don't really um there's not a they big like lens on it or anything. Yeah,
2: they don't they don't like I don't know. I just felt like maybe a little a little more emphasis I I agree. That would have been better. Although
0: you said that they did tabby and it's very possible i there was a lot of it especially between inigo and fezik that i found unintelligible mainly on fezik's yeah, part yeah. like he's talking but i can't always understand what he's saying and apparently when they were filming like his french is so thick and he doesn't really speak much english at all that he was they had a hard time i think like yeah, he had to sort of memorize he had to memorize the the lines and how to say it because he doesn't really speak English.
1: Yeah. When he picks up Inigo and he's drunk, the first thing he says to him rhymes with what Inigo just said. So that's oh, okay. how you know that, um, you know, this is Fezzik And But I agree that it, it's hard to hear him sometimes. Um, I had another little thing from the script that also relates to Fezzik. And that's the line where he says, I just want you to feel you're doing well. I hate for people to die embarrassed. And that's when he's fighting with Wesley. And to me, that's like a very perfect moment of just encapsulating in one line. He's a gentle giant. Like, he's not really that bad of a guy. And also with Inigo, where he's so honorable, and even though he's beat, he immediately drops to the ground. He's like, okay, I lost, you know, kill me, make it quick these are these small little moments that make me believe later on why Wesley would work with them, why they would, you know, become friends, Yeah, you know, and it just kind of shows the true nature of these two characters really well. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. What, what does Wesley say? I would, I would just assume, um, what is it? I can't remember. I would just assume destroy, destroy
1: a, a stained glass window. Right. Then kill right. an artist
2: like you. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Love that moment, Tabby. How many times have you seen this movie? Ah, uh, quite a few, quite a few. But I did not grow up with this. My first contact with this movie was in like summer camp when I was in the U.S. and I didn't speak any English. And this was a big event. Like one night, pe- you know—the kids could watch a movie, and they watched *The Princess Bride*. And I think I kind of pieced out because I was like, I didn't grow up with this. I don't know what this is. And it wasn't until like kind of later on that. I started watching it when I could understand what was happening. Mm-hmm. Because I was I was wondering, I assumed it probably wasn't the first time
0: you had seen it, but I wasn't sure no. if you had seen it as many times as Carrie and I have seen it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it a bunch. Yeah. So that's funny that you said what well, I see now why you said it's supposed to be a Christmas movie, because in the beginning with the, the scenes with the grandpa and the it's grandson. technically a
1: Christmas movie, yeah, there's
0: like, a, there's like a stuffed Santa in the background or something but, yeah. I ne- but when you initially said that to me, I was a little perplexed because i didn't <laughs> I didn't remember it that
1: way or think of it that way, yeah, nobody does, <laughs> which makes sense. There's also a scene um with the kid and the grandpa there was a really great uh, action line from the script. And it's when the kid says, you mean he wins? Jesus, grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? And then the next line is, and he desperately fights for control, which is so funny to me because we've all been there where we're reading a book and like the author takes like a left turn and it is that <laughs> feeling of fighting for control. But it, you, you didn't write the book. You, there's nothing you can do
2: about it. It's like, you're just there for the ride. <laughs> I thought, Wallace Shawn was perfect as Vizini. I can't imagine anybody else being him. And again, I don't. I he's the only person I can picture because of seeing the movie first so many times before reading the book.
0: But he also doesn't really fit the description of no, the character say, from yeah. the book. He's older. He, you know, I got the sense that the Vincini in the book was. Definitely not bald. I mean, I was what you would envision, like a, a you know a dark haired Italian man, is what I envisioned. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Anyway, he doesn't he doesn't fit the the uh, description in the book, but he's but you're right, Carrie. He's he's a great
1: Vincini. Yeah, he's fun.
2: <laughs> I I think that even though physically he he doesn't fit, like like emotionally he fits because you know i'm just looking through here and and it says the sicilian winced out loud the sicilian winced again and that's <laughs> and that's what he does you know so yeah. i think that even though maybe physically he doesn't match his mannerisms match oh that makes sense yeah
1: yeah that's so true mm-hmm <laughs> My only other note in here is one of my favorite lines, which is Buttercup saying, Wesley and I are joined by the bonds of love and you cannot track that, not with a thousand bloodhounds and you cannot break it, not with a thousand swords. I love that uh-huh. line. Because <laughs> hes it's so scary too. Like Prince Humperdinck in that scene is very scary. He's holding like a dagger. He's like forcefully gripping her and like, you know, escorting her to a room and she's not having any of it. She, i just find her like bravery in that scene very very cool and i think buttercup often gets ignored you know because she's just like the she's the princess she's the pretty girl but she actually has a lot of stuff in the film that makes her you know just as capable as as any of the other characters I agree she
0: is a cool character one of the things that i appreciate about the movie and maybe it's partly what made the movie so good too is that apparently all the actors really got along really well and and Mm -hmm. liked each other and enjoyed working with each other and i wonder if that really helped the the movie itself just feeling like it's just like we said like all the people that they they got to play these characters were like perfect for the roles but they actually really got along so well yeah and you and you could definitely get the
1: feel of that yeah any last notes that you guys had i kind of went through all my notes I, th- I got through all of mine.
0: I even got to mention the ponytail mullet, so I'm happy. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I did like seeing the, the grandson's room. I was watching it with my husband and we were pointing like he was pointing out oh look there's a there's a poster from the fridge who was like a football star in the 80s you you probably don't (laughs) know this tabby but but I remembered the fridge from the 19 that football player from the 1980s and I think his jersey well he's wearing a Chicago Bears football jersey and my husband recognized the number of the player that he was wearing anyway there was a lot of like fun Mm. stuff like nostalgia wise on the walls of the little boy's room that reminded me of that time
1: and just the video game he's playing too it's like yeah that was hot (laughs) stuff back in the day
2: (laughs) it absolutely was seeing little fred savage and and his hair sticking up you know like he's been in bed and that is how (laughs) my husband and i watched it and he was like that's Miles. That's our youngest son. And and his hair kind of resembles Fred Savage's and that. It's kind of sticking up in 12 different directions. I was like, yeah, that is. Cute. Yeah. Well, I definitely recommend
0: it to anybody who hasn't seen it, especially that younger generation like my daughter. It's a great
1: movie. I don't think she's going to be listening to this, but nice try, Amy. Uh- <laughs> and if she did.
2: <laughs> and if she was, she'd still ignore you. <laughs> she would totally still ignore me. <laughs> but
1: yeah thank you two again so much for coming back on the podcast to talk about the princess bride can you tell people about your podcast where people can find you and what you do over there a bunch of nonsense is what we do over here (laughs) we
0: uh we're an interview style show and we talk to bookish people sometimes they're authors sometimes they are book podcasters book bloggers we talk to booksellers we find book lovers everywhere and we chat them up we talk to them about um, what they love about books, what they do with books. And um, then we have a segment where we ask them what they're reading and then we find out a little bit about them.
1: Where can people find you on social uh, on social media at Perks of Being a Book Lover? Uh, we're on
0: Instagram. We're Perks of Being a Book Lover pod. And then you can find us on Facebook at the Perks of Being a Book Lover. And we have a new updated website that's kind of fun at PerksofBeingABookLover.com. You know, we have our episodes on there, but we also have some fun things like listener Um, book recommendations so we have what we call our five-star read virtual bookshelf and you can go on there we probably have about 20 books on there of different listeners who have uh, and have told us why that this book is a five-star read for them so you know if you're looking for something new to read and you know just are not sure what what to read go on there and check and we also are featuring guests pets uh because (laughs) yeah
1: i love that one
0: (laughs) because we have found just like a recording today that as we're all recording from home you can often hear pets in the background so we figured why fight it just go with it and, and feature it so now we've started featuring our guest pets so you get to see cute little you know pet photos and who
1: doesn't like a good pet photo <laughs> love that thank you too so much
2: thank you it was fun